What do you desire to get out of your relationship with God? What do you desire to get out of your relationship with God? Good morning, Calvary. How are you? We are wrapping up our Luke series today. Um, those of you who brought your Luke books week after week after week, I got good news. You don't have to bring it next week. Next week, you get to bring your Bible, which is bigger. So we'd love for you to bring that as we're going to start a new series next week. But I want to ask us today, because last week we had a lot of people come. We continue to grow, and um, this room obviously feels less full than it was last week, but it's still pretty full, and it's a good little pause and say, if some of you wanted to come at 8.15 or 11.15, that would be phenomenal to make room for others as they come forward. But as you're coming here, as people are coming here, here's really the question. What do you desire to get out of your relationship with God? And we're going to examine that today as we're trying to sit there and go, okay, how do I look to God? Because I think most people, when they first come to God, they're looking for a fire extinguisher. They're looking for a medic. There's a problem in their life, and they want Jesus to solve it. There, there's a difficulty. There's a struggle. There is something in their life. There's an obstacle that they're trying to overcome, and they want to give Jesus a shot at that, okay? And there's nothing wrong with that, except that when we grow in our faith, what you're going to see through the story, through the lens of the Scripture today, is Jesus may not always look like you want him to look. But he is still good. He is still faithful. And he is still kind. So we're going to examine this today through the lens of Jesus. He's just gone away. And we're in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 36. And he has been crucified. He's been on a cross. He's been in a tomb. And the rumors of his resurrection have now reached the whole countryside. As we pick it up in verse 36. As they were saying these things, wondering about this rumor of Jesus, he himself stood in their midst. Now, I love these next two sentences. He said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they had seen a ghost. Why are you troubled, he asked them, and why do doubts arise in your heart? Have you, have you ever tried to, like, not scare someone and you scare them? I mean, this is what, peace to you. What are you doing? Right? I mean, that's, that's what's going on here. It's like, I, I don't know how to, you weren't expecting me. You, weren't, you saw me crucified, peace to you. And they're like, what are you doing? So what's, what's really going on here? Well, peace to you was a common greeting that conveyed the heart of what the culture recognized it needed. I would, I would be remiss to say when Jesus said peace to you, that was just his prophetic verses or words because it was a common greeting. It's like saying, how are you? But... Peace to you became the norm because of the implications of their culture based on their faith. In other words, the goal was peace. Now, this is very important because the disciples had just experienced 48 hours of complete chaos. The God that they were serving, the man that they had given their life to, the one they had followed all these years, had been crucified, brutally murdered, and they were like, what's going on? I mean, chaos. Have you ever been there? only to have the chaos replaced with confusion. And so maybe last week you came and you're like, I'm going to try out this Jesus. And, and you, you hear this and your life was in chaos. And then you start coming to Jesus and exploring Jesus. But it's not exactly met with the harps and the warm butterflies. It, instead, it's like this Jesus is confusing my worldview. This idea of following Jesus is confusing my priorities. 
This idea of Jesus, who is he? I don't understand what is going on because this is not who I thought I was around. I got good news for you. We can understand by looking at Jesus who he is and find out who he is, but also for what that means to us. And the way that we know that we can get there is he offers us peace. So what do you desire to get out of your relationship with God? Let's start with peace. Peace means right relationship. Right relationship means no conflict. Sometimes you might hear an exasperated mother say to her children, can you guys just get along for a little bit? I need some peace and quiet. You're not really asking for peace right then. You're asking for truce because you know the war is going to break out later. You know what I'm saying, moms, right? Dads, you got me? Is it peace? I need some peace. No, that's not peace. It's the right relationship that we're looking for. There is no problem. And so if peace means right relationship, then all of this peace goes back to the story that every Christian can be summarized with. And this is what we covered last week. This is the basics of the gospel story. The story of every Christian can be summarized with the idea that we start with dignity. You and I, every male and female, was made with dignity. You were made with a purpose. You are not an accident. Your fingerprint was given intention. Your, your characteristics, your traits, you were made with dignity. But somewhere along the lines, we walked away from dignity into depravity. Depravity is a fancy word for sin. Sin is a fancy word for oopsies. Okay? We started trying to do things our own way instead of doing it God's ways. And when we made those mistakes, when those oopsies kind of moments came in our life, we were like, I thought this is what I needed. Oh no, this isn't the right path. And from the, the time we're early um, child, children, early children, we grow up and we, we understand that sin is a problem. But the Easter story that we covered last week is the idea that we should be dead because of our sins. But we have offered resurrection through what Jesus did. Jesus died on the cross for us. And then he was in the tomb. And then he was resurrected to new life. And he invites us to come and experience the same pattern of our life. Where we come into encounter Jesus. We believe Jesus is Lord. And then what's going to happen is we're going to die to our old way of life. as symbolized through baptism. We're being buried to our old way. And we are being raised to a new life. Doesn't that sound awesome? Here's the problem. When we're raised to new life, depravity still exists in the world. And you and I will not be perfect. So we spend the rest of our life in this restoration process. Restoration is a fancy word, holiness. It's this idea of trying to get back up and try and be the best we can be so that we can have peace, so that we can have the right relationship. Because even the youngest child in the room can tell you relationships require work. Right? Now, they may not say it exactly like that, but they know that. How do I know that? Well, when a child is disciplined, what's the overwhelming reaction of most children? The first thing they want to do after they've been disciplined is get a hug from mom or dad. Let's make the relationship back to the way it was supposed to be. So are we working on our relationship with God? So another way to put this is our intentionality helps lead to meaningful retention of the relationship with Christ. Our intentionality helps lead us to the meaningful retention of the relationship with Christ. Let me give you another way this works. 
Around here, we have a regular teaching pattern. We don't always tell you about it. We just kind of practice it. And here's the way it works, because our discipleship pathway is learning, training, and community. And what we do intentionally in the wintertime is we focus on learning. We, we try to dive deeply into what the Scripture, we do the Scriptures the whole year round, but is walk through a book of the Bible, help us to grow. So we're just concluding that with Luke. After we're going through the deep dive of learning, we're trying to push you into a training season. And the training requires you doing things outside your comfort zone. Get ready for it. By the way, I'm super pumped for the series that starts next week. Come and invite a friend. That's all I'm going to tell you. But we're going to be diving into this training idea where we're going to have to choose to be intentional to understand how to apply God into our life so that we can have the peace that we want to have. Because most people come to Christ hoping He will just drop in their lives like a magic genie. He shows up, but we have to do our part to experience that to its fullness. So if our intentionality helps lead us to meaningful retention of the relationship, the question becomes, how do we retain? Let's unpack this by beginning in Luke 24, verse 39 where he continues the story after he said, Peace to you. And he surprised him. Ah, okay, here's the story. Look at my hands and my feet. That is I myself. Touch me and see. Because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see, I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And, but while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Say, so Daniel, you asked us the question of how do we retain what it looks like to grow in our faith, the intentionality, what we're learning. What does this have to do with anything? You see, the disciples were in the midst of not only chaos, but had began to segue into a, a time of confusion, and they were doubting. They were wondering, how can you be both here and fully God. And they were sitting there going, okay, are you a ghost? Because we watched you crucified. And so he says, no, come look at my hands. Examine, see this is flesh on my skin. See the holes? That's where they crucified me. Oh, can I have some food? Why? Ghosts don't eat. So what's the overarching principle that you can get from this? I want to encourage you, it starts, the intentionality starts by examining Jesus for who he is. Do you want to examine Jesus for who he is? And so I, I think a lot of times we struggle with that. And, and, and we hear the Easter story, right? The people who show for Easter, maybe you're coming back and you're a skeptic. And can I just tell you, if you're a skeptic in this room, we all are at some level. That the person who has been in the church for the longest times has moments of their life where they are deep skeptics. They are doubting. There are, there are disillusions. And then sometimes we try to mask that skepticism with sensationalism. And that's like, I'm all in. Woo! You know, but because we're trying to hide this from our heart. And the perfect example of this was when I was a freshman in college. I was a ministry major at Howard Payne University, home of the Mining Potty Yellow Jackets. Sting them. Some of y'all are going to start doing that with me when I do that. Okay, the idea there, though, I was a freshman in college, and I really had some severe doubts of my faith as a ministry major, translation, studying to be a preacher boy. Okay? And I remember going, I can't, 
I can't handle, I don't know what to do with my doubts and my struggles. And if I tell anybody, they're going to, I might be kicked out of the school, which is ridiculous. I might be kicked out of my major, which is ridiculous. I, I'm, no one will want to be my friends, which is ridiculous. But have you ever been there? And I would encourage you, just like Jesus did with the disciples, he invites them in to look and to bring their doubts, to bring their skepticism, to see who God really is. So some of you might be struggling intellectually. And you might be sitting there going, I don't know if I can intellectually wrap my mind around how someone can be both fully God and fully man and how he was buried in the ground and raised from the dead. Can I just argue this? It takes to the intellectual, you can see the logic and that science do not contradict in the Bible. And that as you examine him, I think you'll find that it takes more faith to not believe in him than it does to believe in him. We don't just exist out of a mathematical improbability. That, that does not logically commute. And, and, uh, compute or commute. But as you think about that, no one claimed that I was an intellectual, y'all. Uh, as you unpack that and you begin to think that and you start, look at the scriptures. Look at God. Look at the history. And, and we are foolish if you think only stupid people fall for the gospel because some of the most brilliant people I know are the most strong believers of faith. Why? Because they've faced their intellectual doubts and found out that Jesus is who he says he was. What about some of you who are like, man, this world is just so unjust and so evil. I would say, bring your justice. God cares for justice. Why? Because he is justice. He is just. And yes, there are times when the church has failed carrying out the justice it should. There's times when we have struggled to not be who we're supposed to be. But God is just. He will not fail you. What about those of you who may have been wounded by the church? And you're like, how can God be loving? I've been wounded by the people in the church. And here's what I would tell you. God himself will never fail you, but his church will. Why? Because his church is full of hypocrites. Well, how is that okay? That's why we need the gospel. We're all hypocrites. I got even more news for you, just to fasten your seatbelts. This is going to be a bumpy ride. If you follow what I say long enough, if you get to know me close enough, I will fail you. Ask my wife and kids. Ask anyone on staff. Okay, maybe not. They might share too much. But we're human. We make mistakes. But don't, don't fall into the fact that if you've been wounded by people who claim to be Christians, and they may not have been Christians, or they may have been Christians who are having a very bad day and need grace that God offers them as well, don't be fooled into thinking the church is bad, full of evil people, and therefore God is not good. No, God is loving. God will never fail you. He will never fail you. He will never fail you. And as we are drawn into his presence, as we examine him, we can bring all of our doubts, all of our struggles, all of our disillusionment, and we can lay it at the foot of the cross. And Jesus says, that's fine, because I'm not scared of what you have to offer. Remember, I was a freshman in college. One of the freeingest advice anyone ever gave to me is the following. Daniel, God can handle your skepticism. God is either who he says he is and worth everything. 
or he's not and we're all wasting our time. And I think somewhere in the, in the back of our mind, we're scared to look at Jesus because if we look at Jesus, we might not find out who he thought he was and that might cause us doubt and bring it because he'll handle it. Or maybe we, we don't want to look at Jesus because we realize our priorities and our goals and our mindset might have to change. And I would say, bring it. Because the church has to continually be changing. We have to continually be changing. Because this is the pursuit of what it takes to look more and more and more like him. And i got to keep going. Jesus was inviting the disciples to bring their doubts and skepticism in order that he might reveal the truth of his resurrection. So I want to go back to this original question. What do you desire to get out of your relationship with God? I hope it's the peace that comes through a resurrection of a life lived with Him. Here's the one caution. Some of you are drawn to more of a uh, justice. Some of you are called to more intellectual. And so we can sit there and go, or emotional, and we can sit there and go, I want everybody to experience Christ like I experience Christ. And that's not the way this works. See, we will not all feel the same. We will not all think the same. Ooh, that's scary. Yet Jesus will meet us where we are with the reality of who he is. This is what ultimately leading to peace with him. This is what will ultimately lead to, leads to peace with him. So, let me put it to you like this. We live in West Lafayette, Indiana. I could ask you to raise your hand if you're an engineer, but half of you wouldn't raise your hands because you're engineers. And all the spouses of the engineers are laughing. And the reality is, in, a, in an environment like this, we may not have the most emotive church. What do I mean by that? When it comes time to worship and praising God, some of you are like, with my hands lifted high, we will worship. Why is nobody else feeling what I'm feeling? And God is speaking to you in that way, and you want to feel like you are connected with God in this dramatic charismatic, can I use that word, feely way, and you feel like if everybody else isn't feeling God the way you're feeling, they're all wrong, right? They're not. That's the way God wired them to be different. Now, they need to be pushed outside their comfort zone. Hello? Please raise your hand. Okay. Good step. Good job. But let me give you a caution. Some of you love to debate theology, and you think that that's what it means to love God. And you would go to a corner a coffee shop and stay till 2 a.m. trying to talk theology about situations and issues in the Bible that you think are so vital and have nothing to do with a person coming to salvation. It's just really you like to talk about it. And you want the intellectual pursuit of it. And that person who hates confrontation, who hates the feeling of, oh, you're making me uncomfortable, you're actually doing the same thing to them testify that you feel when someone asks you to raise your hands in worship. It's okay that we're not all the same. Do we need to have theological arguments? No. Do we need to have theological discussions? Yes. Ooh, almost caught myself there. Do we need to have this understanding of what a, be who God made you to be, but it should fit in the church and all point to God. So how do we do this deeper? How do we dive deeper? If, if the ultimate goal is peace through right relationship, and if the ultimate way that we do it is to find God for who he is, 
Spoiler, come back the next five weeks. It's going to be a great series. But today I want to start us off with the basics, okay? Luke 24, 44 through 49. How do we go deeper? He told him, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms might be, would be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he also said to them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I'm sending you what my Father promised as you stay in the city until you're empowered from on high. He's speaking to all of them. He's speaking to the church. This is a practical application of training that goes to the entire church. How do we draw into his presence? The first way is we are to know what is said about him through the scriptures. Did you notice he said, everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, the Messiah will suffer. You know the scriptures. Do you know the scriptures? I'm not talking casually. We'll say, Daniel, you teach us about the scriptures. Drew teaches us about the scriptures. My small group leaders teach us about the scriptures. I listen to podcasts about scriptures. I read books about the scriptures. That's not what I'm saying. Do you know the scriptures? Hear me. Listen to a good podcast. Amen. But a lot of podcasts are trash. Read a good book about God. Amen. A lot of books about God are trash. Hear a good sermon. Amen. Pastors are not perfect, and dare I say it, some preaching is trash. Hopefully not mine. I do my best. You can tell me about it later, okay. But here's my hope. You spend more time in the Word of God than listening to any podcast. You spend more time in the Word of God than reading books about God. You spend more time in the Word of God than listening to sermons, including the sermons you hear on Sunday morning. You spend more time in the Word of God than listening to music about God. You spend more time in the Word of God because the Word of God is what will draw you to the presence of God. We believe God's Word is true. It is perfect and good for all of time. To the intellectual, to the emotional, to all of those it compares, it will draw you in because God's word has stood the test of time. It will always stand the test of time. And I want you to be drawn into the presence of God. A couple cautions. One, when you're reading the word of God, accept it for what it says. And a good way to know you're not accepting what it says is you start with the following argument. Well, that's what it says, but it really means. Now, context does matter and having studied the Bible for my entire life, and having gone to seminary training, let me tell you, there are a couple areas that are gray that we can rub a little bit of tension over what it says, okay? But if you spend your life sitting here going, here's what it says, but that's not what it really means, that's a dangerous ground to be standing on. Second, the Scripture will not fail you but your interpretation will fail at some point, and so will mine. Why? Because you bring the context of what you come through. You, you, you bring your background. You read your story. and you're gonna, now, So that's why we need the church. And so this is the way this works. I preach on Sunday morning. I spend a lot of time on these sermons. I practice the sermons on Thursdays. Y'all might not know this. Drew and I practice our sermons on Thursday. We get advice. We give hints. We try to direct it. We try to get better. 
But with all of that said, I may sometimes say something that's wrong. That's why you need to know your scripture. Because if 30 of you sit there and go, oh, I don't know that he's reading it right. Hopefully you're not getting a holy huddle and together and getting pitchforks. You're, you're saying, okay, how do we, God, what do you want us to do about this? And then you come to me and say, Daniel, I don't know that this is right. Then I will do one of two things. I will either apologize or I will respectfully disagree. And I'll say it's a gray area. But if I go the third way, go, I'm right, you're wrong. That's a problem. Kids, never stick your tongue out. I should not have done that. Sorry, moms. And dads. But don't be dependent on me when you have access to the source. I'm here to help you like a doctor, but you got to choose to live the healthy lifestyle. Know the scriptures. Now I really got to pick up the pace. We train ourselves through faith to see his characteristics and to strive to be more like him. This is called holiness. Fancy word. More like him. In other words, as I see that God is just, I should strive to, be more, strive to be more just. And if I'm not, how can I serve a just God while living selfishly? How can I serve a loving God while being hateful? How can I, how can I serve a God that's all about putting other needs first and live a selfish life? It doesn't comprehend. It doesn't compute. It doesn't sit in or soak, soak well. You, as you study his words, should be drawn into his presence to become more like him, which will result in... We are to live our purpose of glorifying the Father, or as we like to around here, followers share what they, which means we are to share what we know about him. Y'all didn't say that very emphatically. I haven't done that long enough. Followers share what we That's what it means. It's a bubbling forth. In other words, sharing what you know about God should be exciting. No one has to tell a young lady who's gotten engaged, hey, you need to go tell everyone you've been engaged. My oldest son is recently engaged. Apparently, when you get your fingernails done, that's a sign that you've been recently engaged. Didn't know these things. Didn't have daughters, right? But it's the thing. Like, no one has to tell my son's fiance, hey, go tell everyone you're engaged. She's like... <laughs> she actually isn't like that. She's super sweet and super humble. Um, I just wanted to make it... Sorry if she hears this. It's just kind of a... But it's the, she's happy she's engaged, right? My son is not wearing a ring currently, but guess what? That whole campus he's on knows he's engaged, right? I'm in the relationship of a lifetime. Can you believe she said yes to me? Can you believe God says yes to you? Why are you hiding it? He does. We should naturally want to do that. And the way that that compels us is we're living out the resurrection. Philippians 3 10 through 16. What is your desire to get out of your relationship with God? What is your desire to get out of your relationship with God? What's your goal? Paul says it like this. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. I'm dying to my way and being raised to new life and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. My goal is to be more like him. My goal is to know him more. My goal is to see his face and his perspective and to be drawn into that. Great! I love that idea. I can't do that. I'm going to fail, right? Well, Paul addresses that. Not that I've already reached the goal or am already perfect. Thank you, Paul, for including those words. Thank you, Scripture, for that because I would, it would be really hard if it didn't include that, right? Be perfect or else, right? 
But I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. He chose me. He loves me. How can I not be excited about this? So one thing I do, I forget what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus to be more like him, to, to, to know him more, to let him transform my life, to take on his appearance, to take on his resurrection. Therefore, let all of us who are mature in this way, and if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained, or as we like to say around here, followers should share what they know. And then we are to allow, we are to learn how to lean into His Holy Spirit to guide us. That goes back to the previous verses where it says, And look, I'm sending you what my Father promised. As you stay in the city until you're empowered from on high, I'm sending you the Spirit who will help you so we look to Jesus, we pray to the Father, and allow the Holy Spirit to come alive in us. We look to Jesus, we pray to the Father, and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us, and then the result is peace. Peace is felt when we learn to trust how God reveals himself through his word, the Holy Spirit, and the testimony of others. As we go into the next series, and I'm really excited about it. Have I told you that? Can I just challenge you with one thing? If you aren't ready to be uncomfortable, you're probably not really following Christ like you should. So that sounds miserable. Guys, I am the most, like, hate confrontation guy in the world, but I want Jesus to make me uncomfortable. Because what really happens is, as I face that uncomfortable, part of me needs to die so that I can walk with him. And that's where I find the peace. So what are you holding on to? What is the skepticism? What is the doubt? Are you willing to allow God to change you? Yeah. It may mean your priorities will change. It may mean your politics will change. Maybe your goals and your dreams will change. Maybe your retirement plans change. It may mean the amount of kids or whether you get married changes. It may mean the fact that you need to get married. It may mean, I don't know what it means, but are you willing to find Jesus for who he says he is? Are you willing to come to the place where you're saying, God, your word is truth and I trust it. Are you willing to dive into his word? Are you willing to know his word? Yes, once again, listen to a Christian podcast, but spend more time in his word. And that leads us to the daily training. Here's the daily training. To live a life of worship, we are, and then find one application from reading God's word and strive to apply this lesson to your life and or circumstances. How do we do that? To live a life of worship. He concludes that passage with the following. And when he was blessed them, he led them and was carried up into the heavens. And after worshiping, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising God. I don't know where you've been. But I want to ask you the following question. And I really want you to think about it. What do you desire to get out of your relationship with God? I hope the answer is Jesus himself. Jesus. 
because he is enough, he is good, he is faithful, he is just and kind. He will show up, he will not fail you. He will not disappoint you. Bring him your doubts. Bring him your insecurities. And see how good and faithful he is. We have a team that would love to pray with you at the end of the service. Maybe you've been wounded by the church and you're just like, I don't know how to let this go. We'd love to pray with you about that. Maybe you've been wounded by someone else in your life. We'd love to pray with you about it. Maybe, maybe you're ready to come to find Jesus and say, I don't know what this looks like, but I'm ready to be all in. We'd celebrate that with you. But once again, here I am. I'm not asking you to hear my words. My hope and my prayer is that my words deflect off me to you seeing him. And as the words of the song that we're about to sing, walking around, I've been wondering, God, where do I go? His promises will never fail. I promise. His promises will never fail. For He is good. He is what you need. Father, speak to us now. May your word move in our hearts and our lives and our minds. God, right now, for those of us who are hanging on by a thread, would you just show up in a very real way? God, push us outside our comfort zone. Make us uncomfortable with the life that we're living so that we can abandon and die to some things so that we might be resurrected to the hope of you. And God, help us to be able to celebrate that. God, for the prodigal, bring them home. For the stagnant, give us new hope and new life. Resurrect the garden of our soul. God, help us not to walk through the motions, but to see you for now, for who you are, and to trust that you will never fail. In your name we pray.